Hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries. Today is February the 4th. This is a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. We've been working our way through the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter number 9 last time. We got down through verse number 13. I would encourage you to go ahead and find your way there. And we'll pick up in verse number 14. I uh, just want to remind you that uh, all of our studies are on the website, dwaynespearman.org. Uh, we'll take you there the fastest. Uh, all of the studies in written form are there. Audio studies are, are on SoundCloud. SoundCloud doesn't have an app that you can download to your phone uh, to listen on. And then also the video studies. The video studies are up on YouTube, and they are slowly being also placed on Rumble. Uh, if you would like to listen to them there as well. And then, uh, just a reminder, uh, the book of Acts, a mid-Acts perspective, is out. Uh, I encourage you to get a copy of that and support this ministry. I sure would appreciate that. And I am, even as we are teaching our way through the book of Daniel, I am putting that also in book format for publishing once I am done. So uh, today, let's go ahead and Look, in Daniel chapter number 9, uh, remember that um, all the previous chapters so far have been Daniel receiving revelation in regards to what God is going to do with the Gentile world. Um, the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, uh, the revived Roman Empire that will come one day. And then in chapter number 9, it takes a turn, <clears throat> and Daniel begins to set his face toward the Lord his God by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And he wants to know about um, the children of Israel um, in regards to God keeping his covenant of mercy with, to them that love him and to them that do keep his commandments. And of course, that's not referring to the Gentile world. That is referring to the nation of Israel. And then Daniel goes into a, a uh, identification with the nation when he says, we have sinned, we have committed iniquity, we've done wickedly. And of course, we talked about how the reason they were carried away into captivity was that they were in the promised land for 490 years and God had commanded them the seventh, in the seventh year, they were to allow the land to rest. So, work the land for six years, seventh year allowed to rest, have faith in God, he would take care of them, and they didn't do that. So, in the end, 490 years, uh, they owed God 70 years uh, of the land resting. And um, so, God exiled them under the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, for 70 years. And Daniel said he came to know all this by the books. He was reading the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is the one that laid this thing out and told them if they didn't allow the land to rest every seventh year, God was going to exact uh, a judgment on them if they didn't do that. And of course they didn't. Um, so Daniel identifies with his people all the way, way down through here. And he acknowledges that to God belong mercies and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him. And then we get down into verse number 14 where we pick up today. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil 
and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all of his works which he doeth, if we obeyed not his voice. And again, Daniel is, is acknowledging that the nation had disobeyed God, that the nation didn't do what God told them to do. Therefore, God was just in bringing about their punishment. Proverbs 13 or 28:13 says, "He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy." Um, and of course, Daniel is not trying to cover the sins of the people. Instead, he is confessing and he is seeking mercy for the nation of Israel. And then in verse number 15 through 19, and now the Lord our God, that has brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and has gotten thee renown as it is this day, we have sinned. We have done wickedly. And of course, God did bring the nation in time past out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, with a high hand, the Bible says. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from the city of Jerusalem, the holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Now therefore, O Lord our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications, and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. And again, it's referring to Jerusalem, referring to the temple. O my God, incline thine ear and hear, open thine eyes, and behold our desolations, and the city which is called by thy name, for we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness, but for thy great mercies. We don't come to God in our righteousness. Um, our best works, the Bible says, are as filthy rags. The only righteousness that is in me uh, today as a child of God is imputed righteousness. It is a righteousness that is given to me, that is literally placed upon me by God. And Daniel is saying the same thing. We're not coming to you because of our righteousness, but we're coming to you <coughs> seeking your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake. O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Again, notice that Daniel does not base his request on their righteousness or their goodness. Lamentations 3.22 says, Though through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Um, man deserves judgment. I mean, I mean, look around at what's going on in our country today. Look at how we as a nation are turning our back on God. Look at how we are forsaking his word. Black and white, it's there what God believes, what God prescribes, what God's commandments are, what God's requests are, what God's plan is for us. And yet we are turning our backs on it. So much of the church is turning its back on the clear word of God. The word of God speaks to so many issues that we are just 
turning away from, that we are rebelling against today. I don't, the, the Bible is not as silent as many <laughs> would lead us to believe. The Bible speaks pretty clearly in regards to some societal issues that we are dealing with today. It's just the problem is men don't like the answer. Men don't like the answer. So they fabricate an answer. They invent an answer. They go back and retranslate and reinterpret the answer because they don't like the clearly given answer in the Word of God. God changes not. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. Uh, his precepts do not change. The same way God felt about sin with the nation of Israel is the same way God feels about sin with the United States in which you and I live today. And, 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 and God will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. You know, when I see the heathen, when I see the ungodly, um, sin and and mock God, disobey. I I expect that. That's what they do. That's what they are. Uh, wolves bite. They have big teeth. They bite. It's what they do. And when you're bitten by one, don't be surprised. But on the other hand, when I see quote God's people, those who claim to know the Word of God, those who claim to have a relationship with God, do those same things? Not only does it break my heart because they are misleading others, but I question whether or not they really know God. Do they really know the God of the Bible? Have they even read their Bibles? We have gotten all too comfortable with placing question marks where God has placed periods, and that is getting us into trouble as a nation. I believe we are very much <laughs> on the cusp of uh, God doing to us what he allowed to happen to the nation of Israel. And I've had a lot of people talk about that with me lately as we look at what's going on in our country and the spiraling down, the moral decay, the obvious, blatant, um, unscriptural responses to many by many people who claim to know God. Um, I just, I can't help but think that, that our nation is on the verge of... Tremendous judgment um, because we have truly, like the nation of Israel, turned our backs on God, our churches, our congregations, our, <clears throat> our ministers are walking away from the things of God, just like the children of Israel did. Just like the children of Israel did. Now notice in verse number 20, <clears throat> And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin, and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time 
of the evening oblation. Now, Daniel is interrupted. His prayer is interrupted by an angel, and this angel introduces himself as Gabriel. And I know that we talked about this before. There's only three angels in the Bible that are mentioned by name. We have Gabriel, who seems to be more of a messenger-type angel. Um, he's the one that's sent to, to give messages to people, like to Mary, uh, like to Daniel here, uh, like to Joseph. Uh, he's always in a messenger-type um, <clears throat> situation. And then we have Lucifer. And, of course, Lucifer is the devil. Uh, Lucifer... Uh, was created for worship. He was created for music, his tabres, his pipes. You can read all about him in Isaiah and Ezekiel. Um, so he he seems to be involved, uh, or at least at one time was very much involved in, in music and in the worship of God. And then we have Michael. And Michael, every time we see Michael, uh, he's in a fighting situation. Uh, he has got his sword out. He's withstanding the devil. Um, so those are the only three uh, angels that we see in the Bible. And, and, and because of that, and because the Bible says when Lucifer rebelled, a third of the angels fell with him, that has led some to speculate that maybe a third of the angels are under Gabriel, a third of the angels are under Michael, and a third of the angels were under Lucifer. But we don't know that. That, that There's a lot of speculation there. Uh, we don't know how those third, what those third represent. We just know that a third rebelled with Lucifer against God in eternity past. Now, notice in verse number 22, And he informed me, this is Gabriel, and he talked with me, and he said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill, and understanding. Notice God says, Daniel, I want you to understand. You remember he set his face toward God. He had already understood everything, or at least he had been told. I don't think Daniel understood. I, I think one of the greatest proofs to um, the inspiration of the scriptures is that these guys wrote things that they could not possibly have totally understood. I mean, Daniel here, Ezekiel, the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, certainly penned things that was, was beyond their comprehension. Uh, they were having to write um, about the unknown uh, the best way they could. Uh, that's why they use a lot of descriptors like I saw something like or I saw something as it were because you can only describe the unknown in the known. I can only describe what I don't know by what I do know. Um, so now God is sending Gabriel to, to Daniel to, to explain to him what God has in store for the nation of Israel. He's already told him about the Gentile nations, and now he's going to give him skill um, and understanding in regards to Daniel's prayer in regards to God's covenant people. And, and we need to remember that Daniel is the key to understanding the scriptures. Uh, Jesus told us this in Matthew 24, 15. He said, But when ye, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, 
stand ye in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Um, even our Lord said Daniel is very pivotal in understanding um, understanding prophecy. And it is. Now, we haven't seen this yet, but we're going to here in Daniel chapter number 9. He's going to be told about this man that's going to commit this abomination that's going to cause desolation. And we're going to get into that as we we talk about uh, Antiochus, which we've mentioned before already, Epiphanes, when this happened in eternity past, or in time past, but will happen yet future. Remember, we talked about uh, dual fulfillment, uh, where things are fulfilled twice. Um, so Daniel is the, the key to, to understanding according to our Lord Jesus. And yet, how many people uh, really have a grasp of the book of Daniel? How many men accurately interpret, apply, um, teach the book of Daniel? And yet, it's sad today how many people walk away from the subject of prophecy. Uh, and yet, prophecy is the key according to Jesus. Um, Daniel uh, is the key. Daniel is to the Old Testament what Revelation is to the New. Um, and you've heard me say this before. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. You know, you cannot totally understand anything in the New Testament if you don't understand the Old Testament. You can't, as some popular teachers have said most recently, unhitch yourself from the Old Testament. Um, I believe the reason there's a push in the church today to unhitch themselves from the Old Testament is because um, they have incorrect, incorrectly uh, interpreted the church or Israel as the church in the New Testament. I believe that's the problem. Uh, if we will just look at the Old Testament, it was written to the Jews, for the Jews, by the Jews, about the Jews. There's no church in the Old Testament. And, and when we read things in the New Testament, we have to rightly divide between what is church and what is Israel. And just like in my book, uh, the book of Acts, a mid-Acts perspective, if we don't have that mid-Acts perspective, that right division, we're going to end up attributing a lot of things that have to do with Israel to the church. We're going to start reading things in the Gospels about enduring to the end, quote, losing your salvation and needing to be baptized to be saved and having to repent to be righteous, um, getting the gospel out before the end comes. I mean, we're going to start reading things. Matthew 24, we're going to start finding the church where the church is not. And it's going to cause a lot of confusion. Again, again, I think the reason in the, in the church today, so many are, are so confused is, is they just do not rightly divide the word of truth. And I've done it myself. I've done it for years. I've been in pulpit ministry, I've been in teaching ministry, and I go back now and I look at some of my notes and I think, oh my goodness, no wonder. It didn't make sense to me, me then, to be honest with you. You know, trying to reconcile the teachings of Paul with, with the teachings of Peter or the teachings of James. Is there reconciliation between the two? 
yeah, once you understand that Paul was talking to the church and Peter and James was talking to the nation, yeah, you do get reconciliation at that point. But if you don't do that, it's nothing but confusion. So God is revealing to Daniel what his plan is for the nation. And then notice in verse 23, At the beginning of thy supplications the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. So uh, what God is going to do is he's going to show Daniel what his plan is for the nation of Israel. And notice it says, at the beginning of your supplication. In other words, God had already um, dispatched the answer at the very beginning of Daniel's supplications. Uh, God always answers our prayers. Uh, I believe that they're answered immediately. It's either yes, or it's no, or it's wait. God, God does answer prayers, just he doesn't always answer them in our timing, and he doesn't always answer them the way we want him to answer them, but he does answer them. A lot of times, God's already answered our prayers, just we don't like the answer. And then we say, well, God hasn't answered my prayer. Well, yes, God has answered your prayer. You know, it's just you don't like the answer. Um, God always answers our prayers. And notice he's Dan- he says, Daniel, you are greatly beloved. And I believe God loves us. God, We are greatly beloved of God. Uh, God loves Dwayne, and God loves you. As I close at the end of each of my recordings with, remember that God loves you, wants the best for you, and he's working all things out for your good. I believe that. God loves us. God does want the best for us. We don't always choose the best. Uh, we don't always choose the best option. But God does love us, and God is working all things out for our good. It may not look like it at the moment. It certainly didn't look like it for Daniel. I mean, they're sitting in captivity. They've been there 67 years at this time. Uh, Babylon and Medo-Persia is all Daniel knows. His earliest memories as a, a young adolescent boy were in in in. 70 years before. (laughs) I mean, Daniel's in his 90s at this time. He only has vague memories of his life prior to captivity. So God reminds him, or Daniel, Gabriel, reminds him that he is beloved by God. He is loved by God. And we too are loved by God. We should never doubt that God loves us. The Bible says that we are loved with an everlasting love. In Jeremiah 31, 3, God loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son to die for us. We need to understand that. We need to know that. And now in verse number 24, we arrive at a different section. And Gabriel begins to explain to Daniel what his plans are with the nation of Israel. And he's going to do this in what's called 70 weeks. And let's go ahead and just take a look at it just for a few minutes here today, and we'll get deeper into it next time. In verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people 
and upon thy holy city, obviously referring to Jerusalem, to finish. Now he's going to give a, he's going to list uh, six things that are going to happen in these 70 weeks that are determined for the people. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So notice he says that 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. Now these 70 weeks literally means 70 sevens or 70 weeks of sevens. Um, in our culture, we think in decades. We, you know, we're taught as children to count 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, so on and so on uh, in European culture. But Jews think in sevens or what's called heptaths. Um, they think in sevens because seven is the number of perfection. God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. It's the number of, of completeness. So here what we see when he says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people in the holy city. Um, it is 70 weeks of seven are determined upon thy people and upon thy city. 70 weeks of seven, 70 times seven is 490 years. So literally he's saying 490 years are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Remember, God works in 70. Now what's interesting is how long were they in the promised land? 490 years. In other words, God's saying, I'm going to give you another 490 years. And in this next 490 years, this is what's going to happen. They were in the land for 490 years. They did not allow the land to rest every seventh year in the land. So 490 divided by 7 is 70. Let's see, I want to do this real quick. Uh, 490 divided by 7. See, 490 divided by 7 is is 70. So God said you were in the in the land for 490 years. Every seventh year you were told to let the land rest, you didn't do it. So that means you owe me 70 years to allow the land to rest. Now God is saying through Gabriel here to Daniel, I'm going to give you another 490 years. And in those 490 years, this is what I'm going to do. This is what's going to happen. With the, with the nation of Israel. In other words, this entire prophecy is going to be fulfilled in the next 490 years. And I'm going to do six things during this time. Notice what he says. I'm going to finish the transgression. Now, transgression you remember we talked about the word comes from where we get the word trespass. A transgression is a willful sin. A transgression is you knew better, but you did it anyway. Transgressions are far more grievous than simple sins because sin is simply a missing of the mark. Sin means it's an archery term. It means 
I wanted to hit it, but I didn't. Uh, sin is um, you tried your best. <laughs> so a transgression is much more grievous than a, a sin. Uh, sin offerings in the Old Testament were made once a year when the high priest went in. Transgressions were dealt with as they happened by the individual. Um, so in this next 490 years, he says, I'm going to finish transgression. I'm going to make an end of sin. And I'm going to make re reconciliation for iniquity. The word iniquity is a, comp a compound word. And it literally means um, both willful and sin. In other words, I'm, gonna, I'm going to make reconciliation for all of your shortcomings, okay, during these next 490 years. I'm going to bring in everlasting righteousness. Now, right there, your mind ought to be going, everlasting righteousness? Eh, that's not what I'm seeing around me right now. Um, I'm going to seal up all vision and I'm going to seal up all prophecy. And I'm going to anoint the most holy. Now, that could be referring to our Lord Jesus Christ as king. Or it could be, some would say, I'm going to anoint the most holy place. Uh, referring um, still to our Lord and to Jerusalem and the sanctuary. But either way, they're going to happen at the same time. Now, as we look through these, we got to ask ourselves, has this happened? Well, certainly it's been more than 490 years since Daniel got this prophecy. I mean, any sad mathematician can figure that out. Something doesn't seem right here. Uh, because if I look at this, I, these three right here really happened when Christ came at his first advent, when he um, was crucified, when he took our sin upon himself, when he took our punishment, when he made a way for us to be reconciled to God. But this didn't happen. Vision and prophecy were not sealed. And certainly he or, or the temple was anointed. As, so, because he was rejected, he was crucified. And, and you know from a Medak's perspective that Peter, when he preached at Pentecost, he talked to them when they said, what must we do? That he said, repent and be baptized that you may be saved or that you may be filled with the Holy Ghost. This kingdom, this everlasting righteousness was, was, was rejected at Pentecost when the nation of Israel rejected the king and his kingdom. So as we look at these six things that are going to happen in these 490 years, we can say, yes, three of those have happened. And we're going to do the math. And you're going to see at 483 years from the time this prophecy was given until Christ came, these three, these first three did happen. 
But these last three have not yet happened. And what we're going to discover together is that these first three happened at his first advent. But these final three will happen at his second advent. And we'll study that together over the next couple of times together. God bless you guys. Hope that you have a great day. Remember that God loves you, wants the best for you. And he is working all things out for our good.